The date is Thursday the 26th of July and I am hot as hell. I'm Jason England and welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. Now, this heat has absolutely killed any sense of productivity I have had all week long. Um, so, unfortunately, I've not actually done a lot of homework into this one, but I have found five really random facts that don't really have any relation to any current stories or anything daft like that. It's just stuff that I find interesting that I'm going to pass on to you. Again, if you do like stuff like this, if you like random facts, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, give it five stars, thumbs up and all that jazz. Um, obviously, if you want to save your opinion until the end, please do so. Without further ado, let's get rolling with it. This is gonna be a good one. First off, I'm gonna talk about a video that's come out recently, and it's about the state of public transport in the UK. Now, if you are from dear old blighty like I am, you probably realise that every single other story in the news is about some kind of train service changing its timetable, upping its prices, or just being generally a bit naff. Well, turns out that somebody actually put this to the test to figure out just how bad they are. A British teenager, and you can find him on YouTube, flew from Essex to Sheffield via Berlin instead of taking the train. And why did he do this? Well, because the 1,017-mile flight was actually cheaper than the train ride. Yep, you heard that right. It actually costs less to go to Berlin, well, to go to Sheffield via Berlin, than it is to take the train there. That is ridiculous. All you have to do is just Google search your story and you'll see the video and basically this guy vlogs his entire journey there and it's just baffling really that trains have got to this point. So if ever you want a nice, quick, cheap journey, you know where to go. The airport rather than the train station. Next up, talking about kind of weird research papers. So if you've ever been around like scientific journals and different online databases of journals, like I have, you'll notice that some are incredibly sketchy, usually funded by other companies to try and support their own products. So you would have seen this way back when, when smoking was actually revealed to be quite the problem. Um, there were a lot of tobacco company funded studies that tried to prove the healthiness of smoking, even though it was quite obviously not. Again, you saw this with like super sugary soft drinks and so on and so forth. But nothing really changed about it. Like it's still a practice done today. Um, and it's something that was actually exposed by one guy, an anonymous biologist, 
who was looking to expose how easy it was to get fake news into supposedly peer-reviewed scientific journals. Um, inspired by a recent attempt that got a paper about Star Wars' own midichlorians published in three different journals, he recently submitted a paper titled Rapid Genetic and Developmental Morphological Change Following Extreme Celerity. What does that mean? Well, it's actually based on a pretty horrendous episode of Star Trek where characters turned into weird amphibian people and the conclusion was simply that it was possible. The author that was listed was Dr. Lewis Zimmerman which is actually the name of the hollow engineer that programmed Voyager's emergency medical hologram. And the fact that he passed this threshold and this research was actually published, it was actually accepted by four different journals and actually published in the American Research Journal of Biosciences. Yep, I'm not joking with you. That actually happened. And it's something to really take home how little many of these companies care about the quality of the research. They just rather want to be seen with the bigger database there over anybody else. And now we move on to one of the most suave people in film. Also probably one of the most sexist in the past, James Bond who, when you actually read through the novels and actually took into account the amount of drinks that he had, he was found to consume, on average, 92 units of alcohol a week. So there was not a single moment that he was actually sober throughout the entire week. His preference for martinis being shaken, not stirred, may not just be a tasting, but according to the BMJ, who did the research into this, Talking about pointless research and fake news in the last segment, this kind of fuels my point a little bit, but also I find this a bit interesting. Um, it could have actually been stemming from his inability to stir drinks due to persistent shaking from alcohol-induced tremors. That's right. Basically, the authors of this study read all 14 James Bond books and took contemporaneous notes detailing every alcoholic drink taken. Predefined alcohol level units were used to calculate consumption and after exclusion of days when Bond was unable to drink, his weekly alcohol consumption was 92 a week, over four times the recommended amount. His maximum daily consumption was 49.8 units. He had only 12.5 alcohol-free days out of the 87.5 days on which he was able to drink. And the conclusions of this are just as kind of frightening as you would expect of somebody who drunk this much. James Bond's level of alcohol intake puts him at high risk of multiple alcohol-related diseases and an early death. The level of functioning is, as displayed in the books, is inconsistent with the physical, mental, and indeed sexual functioning expected from somebody drinking this much alcohol. We advise an immediate referral for further assessment and treatment, a reduction in alcohol consumption to safe levels, and suspect that the famous catchphrase, shaken not stirred, could be because of alcohol induced tremor affecting his hands. That is bloody terrifying and 
kind of what we all knew anyway. We didn't really want to tell ourselves that Bond was really like this, but yeah, I, I wouldn't trust him with a gun at all. Just kind of stop shaking it and start team killing. Next up, video games. One of my favorite topics, actually. Um, speaking of which, just a random bit of news. Um, as you may know or may not know, I do a Twitch stream called The Emotion Engineer, which is a dedicated PS2 gaming stream because obviously the PS2 had an emotion engine in it and every engine needs the emotion engineer and there's a story behind the name. Um, well, with it being too damn hot, I have been, well, not only sweating a lot, but just kind of really lacking any kind of energy to do anything like that. Um, I know that's a bit of a sad excuse and I do apologise for anybody who does watch the show every now and again but it's it's something that I feel like the same as my blog and the same as this like I need to feel like I enjoy doing it and if I don't feel like I enjoy doing it then I don't put my all into it and then you get a really naff product at the end of it and I'd much rather give you the best of what I can do. The best of what I can do might come next week because apparently it's meant to be cooling down a lot and coming back down to a bit of a normal temperature. So if it does, great. I will be back online. But that's just my little apology for not streaming this week. But anywho, back to the games. So when it came to playing games in the past, um, Obviously, you got like your free demo disc and then you bought games. But in the 1980s, there was actually a pretty unique way of downloading video games. That's right. Not purchasing them on hard copy or anything. Downloading them. And it came courtesy of particular shows like the Datarama show on Radio, Radio West who partook in the UK's first attempt to send a computer program over local radio. Yep, that's right. In the 1980s, people were able to download video games from a radio broadcast by recording sounds onto a cassette tape that they could play on their computers. So, how on earth did this work? Well, having programmed the 6502 Tangerine and BBC computers... Joe was an early adopter of home computing. Joe being Joe Tozer, who co-hosted the show. And how it worked exactly was, back then, obviously, we're talking about the ZX Spectrum, the Commodore 64 and stuff like that. Um, as it shared a same media format as audio tapes, it could be argued that data was actually saved as sound. And that sound that was actually interpreted into graphics, which were then projected onto a TV. So, in that same way, surely you could reverse engineer it and play a sound on the radio. That could actually be a program that was activated on your computer. And in this situation, was a game. And that game was Manic Miner on the Sinclair Spectrum. That is right. And using the sounds of a broadcast over the radio, people got this game for free. That to me is bloody incredible. And 
quite the symbol of how far outside the box we as humans can actually think. And going to the hot weather, finally, I've found a story that ties in very nicely to the fact that I am sweating a lot on a sofa right now talking to you and just far too hot to actually do anything of actual worth. Welcome to my life. <laughs> um, well, it turns out that in 1999, Coca-Cola had invented and adapted a vending machine so that it would charge more for drinks in hot weather. That's right, the machine would monitor the temperature and increase the price of drinks as the weather went up. As the temperature went up, my mistake, the weather doesn't go up, the temperature goes up. Um, the machine would cater to the basic law of supply and demand. And since the process was automatic, people didn't have to think about it. Obviously, Pepsi were quick to weigh in and say it was a scheme that exploited customers rather than benefited them. And the machines were only tested in Japan before being taken off the market because, well, let's be honest, they were a bit sketchy and just not that great, were they? The whole idea of being scammed out of extra money because it's just that little bit hotter. While it does obviously happen, take a look at all the suntan lotion prices and boots, for example, the moment it turns hot, um, it's something that you don't really want to be so blatantly happening in front of you. So luckily, it was reversed and you don't ever see anything like that ever again. And that is it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed this wonderful five segments of weird, weird, weird facts. And hope you feel a bit just as weirded out by these bizarre, bizarre little nuggets as I was reading them. And I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. Now, you can engage with this podcast by obviously following it or subscribing it, depending on where you're listening to me from. Um, iTunes, Spotify, we're on Spotify now. Woo! Uh, Google Podcasts and literally Pocket Casts. Pretty much, if you name it, chances are we're on that service. Um, if you are look, if you're listening to me where the show originates from, which is Anchor, hello you have a few more options to engage. If you want to join in, uh, obviously there's a call-in function and I'm looking for any and all weird facts from you guys or just to chat, really. Like, I'm happy talking to anybody on here. It was great to get call-ins and I'd love to pick all that back up. Um, and obviously, this is the official blog of New Rise Media, so I can't really go that far without plugging it. So the blog is newrisemedia.com. You can find me on everything at Mr. Jason England. And beyond that, I think that's all the shout-outs I've got to do, except for twitch.tv slash engineer, the channel which I will hopefully pick up again next week. So thank you all for taking the time to listen. Love you all. And have, hopefully, 
Try not to melt like a 99 ice cream like I'm doing right now. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.